Experience is the greatest teacher of knowledge. No one knows that better than Colin C. Thompson. He's a life coach and an immigrant to the U.S. by way of Canada. Thanks to his parents, Jamaican roots, he now lives in Shanghai, China, where he runs a successful life coaching business known as Oligi Life Coaching and Training. And he says his wealth of knowledge, expertise, and travel has fundamentally shaped the way he views life and being a productive and contributing member to society. He joined me this week to share his intriguing life story and how social and race relations are interconnected. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Terrific, Colin, but if you're ready, we'll uh, welcome you to the program, and I'm excited uh, to be with you tonight to learn all about your impressive story of uh, how you ended up in China, your entrepreneurial story, and uh, what keeps you busy uh, from a personal perspective. So great to see you this evening, and thanks so much for being here. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me on, and it's interesting how you say my all these stories. As I learn more about people and interact with people from, from all across the globe, I'm learning that my story isn't so, uh, well, it's interesting. My story isn't so, um, it, a lot of people are doing uh, what I'm doing and a lot of people are doing a lot more. So it's interesting. Everybody has a great story and great experiences. I'm very happy to be able to share mine with you and your audience today. Absolutely. So I'm going to start you off by asking you to tell me about uh, how, how you ended up in China. I know you uh, spent some time both in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, so tell me about your immigration story and how you ended up to where you are uh, today. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. And people always, not always, but often ask me, how did I end up in China? And I said, look, I did not end up in China. I made a, a conscious effort to go abroad, and that place happened to be China. But I'll take you right back to the beginning. Anyway, the beginning for me. My parents are what I call double immigrants, meaning that they immigrated first from Jamaica to Canada. Um, all of my siblings came out in Jamaica. Uh, my parents moved with their five kids from, to uh, Toronto. I came out in Toronto, and my father, our family again, I immigrated from Canada to the U.S when I was about eight years old. Uh, this is in the 1980s, the early 80s. So going from Jamaica to Canada, having that Jamaican accent and moving to Louisville, Kentucky was quite a culture shock. And I tell you, I really didn't realize the issues with race and whatnot until I stepped into the United States. And one thing I loved about the US, I'll tell you, 
it was not as cold as Canada. Because Canada was cold for a long time. And I was like, wait a second, it's March and it's getting warm? What's going on here? So um, there are things I, I really enjoyed about being in the U.S. and some I didn't really enjoy. But I think my parents really wanted his kids to have the best opportunity. And that happened to be the United States. And I know that uh, you're, you're involved heavily in the blockchain industry. And sometimes that industry can be a little bit lawless, as you know. And uh, you also tell me that you started a life coaching business also. So I'm wondering if you could uh, uh, dive a little bit deeper into the aspect of your life as well. Yeah, absolutely. And both of these things took place once I arrived to China. So to answer the initial question of how I ended up in China or how I got to China, I made a conscious effort in the early 2000s, I think 2003, I decided to go back to Howard University, my alma mater, alma mater, which I'm very proud to say, uh, we all know Howard University now because of Kamala, Kamala Harris, the future VP of the United States graduates from there as well. So I'm proud to put a little plug in for my university. But I decided to Absolutely, go back. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to go back and get my MBA. And I have a double MBA in electronic business, electronic commerce, and supply chain management. And I did that for a particular reason. I wanted to go abroad and get some life experience. As you know, as you, oh, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but most people from North America don't leave North America. People in Europe, people in Africa, people in Asia, they travel quite well. But a lot from North America really don't leave North America. And I wanted to make sure I got some, uh, I guess you can say some experience abroad before settling down. And IBM gave me that opportunity in 2006. I was able to graduate with my MBA, join IBM. And I joined IBM for a specific, specific reason that they could potentially get me abroad, which was my goal. Uh, I, I was joining the managerial program two years and it got me there my last six months in Shenzhen, China in 2008, where I stayed. And I've been here for 12 years uh, since, I guess, wow, I've been here for 12 years now. Oh, wow. And I'm also uh, curious to get your take on how you think uh, your life has evolved since you've traveled uh, so much abroad and living in different cultures and uh, environments as well. Yeah, and Kevin, it takes it, the answer takes us right back to your previous question about uh, my life coaching business and blockchain. And I can tell you that when I came here, I was really looking to be not sheltered, but walk that path that walk that worn path. Meaning, um, working with a multinational company, I can see as long as I produce good and work good, I could see my path in that company. And that that's what took place. I stayed there for another ten years um, until 2018. And I decided, wow, let me take a chance and bet on myself and go into my own life coaching business and blockchain business. And I don't think that would have happened had I not left the U.S. and came to China. That's primarily because when you leave your comfort zone, you develop another level of confidence that gives you that, that, that belief that you can succeed and you learn to take chances. So departing from IBM, and not giving myself a backup plan, not going after another job after IBM, that's what led me into really focusing on my coaching business, my training business, and my blockchain business. So the mentality shift that I saw was really learning how to take a chance on myself and not worrying about doing the safe thing. 
doing the doing the thing instead that really motivates me and pushes me and finding my passion and more importantly going after my passion and tell me i'm curious to also get your thoughts on uh racial relations as it relates to internationally and how we view the world from a race perspective because certainly uh where you are in china and where i am in canada are diametrically a little bit different and certainly uh with your experience living in the u.s i'm also curious to get your thoughts on uh, race relations as well right so here in china if i think about i do a lot of diversity and inclusion training and one of the shifts we had to make from delivering this to a western audience versus a asian audience is in asia diversity is less about race it's more about gender it's more about other factors so you're not going to see a lot of chinese citizens really have any issues with race now a lot of foreigners who come here um, especially from africa they do have some issues in some parts of china uh, due to race um, chinese may think they're poor but what you're not seeing you're not seeing a lot of discrimination based on skin color you really don't see that and primarily because most of the foreigners who are here are experts or who have some sort of specialized education. That's why they're here in China. A lot of foreigners don't come here just to try something new. They come here because the company brought them here, there are job opportunities here. So due to that, the Chinese do a very good job of looking at you based on your intellect, based on your career. So if you tell somebody you're a, for example, a teacher, they'll have a lot of respect for you and it has not much to do about your skin and skin color. Now we know that that's very different when you go back to North America. Uh, North America and the US is one of the only countries and Canada, by the way, that really has a lot of different colored people who are their citizens and who are trying to stake a claim of, of ownership somewhat to the country. And I think that's where you're seeing a lot of people really bang heads in the US where you have the majority, the Caucasians, who really may feel like the US is their country, it's a white country, and everybody else is a guest, or everybody else either was brought over through slavery, uh, right, didn't really come here you know, the proper way, or they're trying to come through the border. So I think you know the US has a lot of uh, issues based on the majority feeling that it's their country and being reluctant to give up the piece of the pie, so to speak, and, and find that harmony. Now, you do have a lot of Caucasians who are now allies to people of color. Let me state that. Um, but I still think we have a long way to go. Now, in Canada, I was very young, but in Canada, I never felt out of place because of my race. Now, maybe my parents shielded me from that because I was a child. Uh, but when I got to the US at the same age, I instantly felt something different. So I can't really speak on Canada except they're saying that I know that when I was a child, it was things were okay. But I think because uh, China, Canada has good gun laws too, things don't get so bad. And Thompson says that social norms and perceptions internationally are viewed diametrically different by the Chinese when it comes to the behavior of their North American counterparts. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a vast difference on how Chinese, and not just Chinese, I would say people outside of North America view Canadians and view Americans. Um, as you know, if you, if you travel 
and tell somebody you're Canadians, you're Canadian, they want to give you a hug because they feel Canadians are some of the most peaceful people in the world. And that's true. We have no real military threat. You've never heard anybody say the Canadian army is coming after you, right? So a lot of people view Canadians as being very, very friendly. And when you say North American, or say, you, say, you say America, excuse me, from the U.S., people always, the shoulders go back because, you know, the U.S. has a, a stereotype of being a very bravado, being a very chest out, uh, loud country where they think there's two ways of doing things in the world. There's the American way and then there's the wrong way. So uh, people do view, especially here in China, they do view Americans as being much louder, uh, especially over the last four years. But I will say this, no matter where I go in China, they love America. The average Chinese person wants to be in America. They do feel that for their child or for them to have the, have the best life, that is in the United States of America. And it's not just Chinese, it's Africans, it's Europeans. They still think the United States is the land of milk and honey and the best place to live if you want that. So the news, we see these images based off of movies, movies, news and whatnot. So people really think that Canadians are very friendly, uh, no threat, I'm very happy. And the U Americans are more dangerous, but the U.S. is still the best place in the world to live. And uh, uh, getting back to your own story just for a moment, I, I know that you had uh, some financial uh, difficulties as a teenager, but you learned to become more financially independent with your international lifestyle. I would uh, be curious to know how you did that. Well, I, I did it out of fear because quite frankly, when, when I, we went through my senior, my senior year in, in high school, we went from living in a five bedroom house to a one bedroom apartment in a matter of three or four months. Now, luckily I was the last child there, so it wasn't the biggest impact on me, but what I saw my father and mother go through as far as pride, as far as going from, going from being very comfortable to really having to scrape by, I, pro I told myself I would never let my kids experience that. So from that point, I started getting very, very cheap, very, very cheap. I started learning how to save more and spend less. And I started learning how to really think ahead. And luckily, when I first started working after college, I had a Korean coworker. We were having lunch one day and he taught me, he said, so what about your IRA? I said, what's IRA? And he goes, you don't know what IRA is? I said, no. So he broke down to me, IRA, 401k. And from that point on, when I was about 20, 23, I started making sure I was putting a little bit of money in my 401k and a little bit of money in my IRA. And I just started saving, saving, saving. And luckily, being the son of, of Jamaicans, you're very cheap. <laughs> so I never, I never spent a lot of money on, on, on expensive things. So saving and whatnot wasn't hard. And uh, you know, when I was 29 years old, I bought my, bought my house. No, 26 years old, I bought my house. So, and that house now is paid off. And, and another, street, another means of income, a passive income I have. So making sure that starting to build a foundation of being financially intelligent and smart at a young age and being consistent. Look, I was saving $25 a month at one point. But it grows, it grows, it grows. So luckily, two years ago, when I decided to build my own business, I did not have to worry about how I'm going to pay the bills the next month. And Kevin, as you know, when you have a roadmap, so to speak, or you have a runway, and you can build your business based on what you should do, not based on I must get money tomorrow, it's a totally different environment. Being able to 
be calm and make the right decisions based off, not based off of worrying about, um, 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 not, not based off of worrying about where that next meal gonna come from. It, it, it makes you really run your business totally different. So I like to say that having an abundant, abundance mentality really helped me to be financially, I wanna say financially independent, not rich, but knowing I have the multiple income streams and knowing that I don't have to make decisions based off of need really makes a difference. Yeah, and I know that uh, we uh, both shared the uh, experience of going through special education classes uh, and you rose, rose above that to uh, become uh, um, your class valedictorian and knowing how to speak at your uh, uh, commencement uh, address for your college. So I'm, I'm curious to know um, how that journey evolved for you. Yeah, and thank you for bringing that up because that was the first time in my, in my life I really experienced what I call true long-term personal development. When I moved from the U.S. to Canada, as I, as I mentioned, it was a different environment and things changed so much, I became very nervous. So when I was in school, I start to stutter a little bit. And at the same time, I had, and I still have a lisp, and I, you know, the, the, my lisp, I have my lisp, I have my stutter, so, and I had an accent, <laughs> an accent that sounded strange. So based on that, they put me into a speech class, a special class for people who they felt could not speak the right way, and they wanted to help you learn how to speak. So those two things, um, uh, my lisp, my stutter, I really started to feel negative about speaking because being told in this new country that you don't, you're not speaking the correct, the correct way really made me sort of go into my, a shell, go into myself. But there's one thing that I always found very motivating and that was going to church and seeing a preacher preach and get fired up and the crowd gets fired up. I, I started really noticing people who could go, to, go in front of a room and talk to people flawlessly. And from that point on, I really focused on trying to improve my ability to speak. And I sort of leaned into my issues, trying not so much to learn how to get rid of my, my list because a list was gonna be with you, learning how to speak slowly and getting rid of my stutter. But I'll tell you what changed everything. When I was working as a, as a waiter in high school, I learned that the better you communicate with the people coming in, the higher your tip is. So I learned how to say the right things. And I, I, my, my feeling of nervousness talking to people went away. Now, as you mentioned, I was able to uh, give a commencement speech uh, at my university. Now, I was not the valedictorian <laughs> because my grades were not good enough to be valedictorian, but I was senior class president. Now, senior class president for the School of Business, you have the honor of giving the fellow students the commencement speech. And I tell you, I felt so proud being an immigrant to the United States, being at the top HBCU university in the country and giving a speech telling my, telling my classmates, here we're going to the future guys and here's my advice and tips on how we can succeed. So that really did change my life because that's the first time I saw my journey, I thought back on it, from being that awkward kid who had to go to these special classes to speaking out to classes and saying, you know what, I can speak. So that was a, that was actually a very major major event in my life. And I know that living there in China, that uh, 
the coronavirus had originated from there. And you shared with me during our pre-interview preparation that uh, you um, had a very emotional experience during that time. So I'm wondering if you could share that with our audience as well. Absolutely. My, my, <laughs> it was a, a lot that took place during that time. But my emotional experience was really when my wife was no longer feeling anxiety. We were here in China when the coronavirus hit. At that point, it was not COVID. It was still coronavirus. People didn't know much about it. If you were outside of China, you could turn on your TV, see the news, and understand something's taking place. But in China, it was happening real time, and we had no reference. So we scrambled to make sure we got back to Shanghai. How can we protect our home? from the virus. We had, at the time, our little boy was five months old, and my wife was very, very concerned about us getting sick and her get, and, and the child getting sick. So every day, every day, Kevin, she would turn on the TV, and the first thing on the TV, so right now, if I turn on the TV, the first thing I will see is the weather report. Today's gonna be sun, sunny, 20 degrees. Back then, the first thing on the news was, here's how many people died overnight. Here's how many people got infected overnight. Here are the projections for today and tomorrow. And she was getting very, 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 very anxious. And, you know, there was a lot that, that, that I did coaching my clients during that time to help them through. But I got to say, sitting my wife down and trying to help ease her anxiety by talking about, honey, here is what we can control. The only thing we can control is what takes place inside the house. So let's make sure we have a process for when I leave the house and come back, a process that ensures that I'm disaffecting myself to not allow the virus in. My family didn't go outside for about four weeks. I was going to go outside to get groceries and whatnot. So all we could do was control that environment. And we also decided that she would not watch the news until the evenings when her and I were together. And her anxiety massively came down instantly. She started cooking, trying new recipes, it was a total shift. And I got to say, that was the biggest emotional win I had during that time. Now, people I worked with, coaching them on how to uh, deal with COVID was great. But that emotional shift in my wife, that was a highlight of the COVID time. And I'm curious, what's been your uh, favorite part about embracing uh, Chinese culture during the uh, 12 years you lived, you've lived in uh, Shanghai? I think the, 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 the part that I still am fascinated by is how open to, how really open to other cultures and other races the Chinese people are. And I think part of that is because they're still wanting to learn about other cultures. They want to learn about Europeans, what Europeans do. They want to learn what Americans do. They want to wear the clothes. They want to really be part of that lifestyle. And with that, they're not coming into, into our relationships with the negative stereotype that you may get in other countries. Um, being a person of color in the US, there is a certain stereotype. But you don't get that here. You get people who are naturally curious about your culture. Now, I'll tell you, it's, it, it may be a thing about ignorance. And as you know, the government here blocks certain, certain things. So a lot of people here, they know about slavery, but they don't know about the issues, the racial issues in the U.S. 
They have no idea about it. And you may say, wow, how is it possible? Well, it's very possible. Um, the racial issue in the U.S. is an afterthought here in China. But what it also does, it also means that people here are judging you for your character. So I like the fact that people here are really open to, to knowing about you and are curious about your culture and, and have no, no hidden stereotypes about your race. Yeah, my final question for you is, I know that you enjoy supporting your wife uh, with her endeavors. And uh, what, do you, what have you learned about yourself from uh, as a family man, husband, and uh, business owner over the last, say, uh, three to five years? I've learned to trust myself. I've learned to trust myself as a father, and I've only been a father for about 15 months as a father. I've been a husband for, I think, almost three years, and uh, I've been an entrepreneur, a businessman for a number of years. So I think I've learned over time to trust myself. I've learned to communicate with my wife to make sure that no matter what, she's happy, as, as you may know. That's, happy. A smart, <laughs> that's a smart motto to live by, I'll tell you yeah. that. Yeah, a happy wife, a happy life. That's very, 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 very true. So I try to make sure that my wife, my child have a very comfortable and friendly environment to, to, to be in. I tell you, if I, had, if I could give one piece of advice to any, any uh, married man, it would be just to say yes, dear, and keep it moving. Um, any entrepreneur, uh, any entrepreneur, I'll give you five things, for an, six, six words for an entrepreneur, six words. And, and, and if they follow this, these six words, excuse me, these six words, they will, they will reach their goals. Do not stop until you succeed, okay? Do not stop until you succeed. If you follow that as an entrepreneur, you will succeed. And it's a very, very rocky road, but I've learned that if you have what I call unreasonable confidence and belief in yourself, you will succeed. And this is what I really coach my clients into believing, that they can and will achieve greatness. Hey, Colin, I really enjoyed our fascinating uh, com conversation and uh, time with you this evening. I want to thank you for re revealing conversation and be being so open and honest with your experiences, feelings, and emotions. I want to thank you for being here and for your time this evening. It's most appreciated. Hey, Kevin, thank you for having me on. Fantastic.